Let's turn to the scriptures, shall we? First uh, Kings chapter 19 to begin. Before we go there, I'm just going to talk about something else and we'll lead into this first verse. So, um, just something. 400 years ago, a famous man, the Dean of St Paul's Cathedral in London, uh, wrote this. You might have heard it before. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent. Who's heard that before? No man is an island. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is John Dunn, who was Dean of St Paul's at the time. Um, and this is quite a famous quote, No Man is an Island. There's another bit that goes on to say, which is also famous. He says, Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Mm-hmm. All right, did you know that was John Dunn? Jeff. Uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote a book called For Whom the Bell Tolls about the Spanish Civil War, and that's where he got it from. Um, so don't this, 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 the feeling is here, I'm part of all mankind, I'm joined to everybody, so any man's death diminishes me. So if you hear the church bells ringing for someone who's died, don't bother sending out fine, you know, who's died, because part of you has died. You're connected to that person, even though you don't know them and who it was. So never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And I guess the shadow of death is hanging over us all the time. So you hear those bells tolling. They don't do that anymore, of course, but perhaps in the little villages in England 400 years ago, that's what happened, you know. And, um, you know, you know, oh, that's the mournful toll of, of a funeral service or something ringing out across the valleys or whatever. Uh, it tolls for thee, though. And... Um, it's become famous this because it reminds people that we none of us are really just individuals isolated from everyone else. We all are part of humanity and we all and if we're not connected we, we get a sense of loneliness, we get a sense of isolation. And uh, that's what seems to be happening more and more these days. They're commissioning more and more studies on loneliness um, in the society. And they're finding that the loneliest people are people in the most developed societies, the most individualistic societies like the USA, UK, Australia and so on, the Western world. They're the most lonely. You might think that older people are lonely, the loneliest, but they're actually the least lonely. In both the surveys, there was one in Australia that was done in... 2018, and there was another big one done in Britain in 2020. 46,000 people from all over the world, 237 countries, they surveyed these people. And they found that the, the most vulnerable group are young men in these individualistic societies because they've become very driven by success and comparisons and all that sort of thing. Older people, maybe some of those things have dropped away and they, you know, they just think, accept who they are and they're part of the group and they do things to connect with people, perhaps. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about loneliness today, but from the scriptures, there's, there's two main principles that I want to bring out. Um, <clears throat> you know, we all understand this concept, I'm sure. Uh, I had, when I was growing up as a teenager in, in the hills of Perth, I remember uh, the family next door, they had children about our age, but their elderly parents lived in a granny flat next door and uh, they were called the McCutcheons and they were Canadian, I think. Anyway, they were really ancient, you know, 80s or 90s or something. 
and they never left the house really. They just sitting there and they spent all their time together, this couple. And then one day, the the wife died, and we were all shocked because they were just such a fixture. All these years of us living next door, they were always there. And then just straight afterwards, you know, like two weeks later, the husband died, and we thought, wow, you know, that was that amazed me at that even at that age of about sixteen, thinking, you know that they had been together their whole lives and they were really old, but it's like he just didn't want to live anymore without her. It would be too lonely, so he died. Um, and as I say, there's been these studies on loneliness that not even two days ago there was just something more in the, in the media that said, uh, this came from America, why a social life is not what it should be, and this guy was on uh, a train and he looked around the train and everyone was on their phones, <laughs> no one was talking to anyone else, and he said... What are we doing here? Why aren't people... Because as a behavioural scientist point, he is, and he pointed out that social connection makes us healthier, happier and more successful and generally contributes to the sweetness of life. And he looked around the train car and realised nobody's talking to anyone. What are we all doing here? Why don't people do the thing that makes them most happy? And some people are reluctant to talk to strangers because they don't think it'll be enjoyable, but they find that if they do, it is enjoyable. You know, they don't think it's going to be, but it is. Another reason is people are introverts. They don't want to sort of reach out. They're a bit shy and so on. But again, the the pain they think they're going to feel is actually far outweighed by the joy they get from that, you know. You often find if you're on a plane, you're more likely to talk to someone than than on a train because you are kind of, (laughs) you know, squeezing like sardines, aren't you? And it's pretty hard to avoid them. And you know, some people were willing to talk a bit more than others. Others will just say hello. But uh, you can have some, some great conversations with people. And it's always enjoyable. You bring the Lord in, you know, at the right moment. And um, just tell them, like Curly was saying, you know, you can tell people, uh, you know, your, your testimony and all that sort of thing. And mass loneliness is a perversity, this guy says. If a bunch of people are lonely, why don't they just hang out together? <laughs> if they're all lonely, why don't they just talk to each other? Um, anyway, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk going on about it at the moment. And that was, as I say, that was August the 25th, so that was three days ago. Um, and there was a... Who remembers Sandeep, the, the Indian guy that was in our fellowship for, for a few months here? And it goes back a few years. And we went... And, yeah, Rose has got her hand up. We went down to Bustleton. We were having some outreaches down there, remember? And I remember... I was with him, we were walking around a new estate somewhere down in Bustleton, and um, he just remarked how lonely it was. He said, you know, in India, you'd see people all out on the street, kids would be playing, the old men would be sitting on a little table playing chess, you know, the women would be doing their work, men would be talking, smoking, or whatever they do in the street, you know, but everyone would be together and it'd be, you know, they don't have much room, and... And they all sort of feel like a sense of belonging. They know where they fit in, you know, they're the kid or the parent or the grandparent or whatever. They all have a sense of belonging, they're part of the community. But here, he said, here, everyone sort of got these doors that go up, you know, press the remote control button, drive your car in, door goes down, they're inside the house. You, you, you're never out on the street walking around, really, unless you drag the bin out. And <laughs> you don't go out and talk. I mean, I know that's an exaggeration. Some people to go out and talk to their neighbours and they're doing stuff. But generally speaking, that's how those new estates are. And, um, you know, we've all perhaps done some outreaching in them and you walk around and I used to notice this. I think, oh, there's a house, you know. Um, 
I'm going to get to that house and talk, knock on that door in a minute and then the garage door go up the car, drive out and off they go and the door goes down. It's like they're sealed in this little bubble and, you know, unapproachable. Um, anyway, that was Sandeep, the Indian guy, because he was just making a comparison. Um, but for almost everyone, human contact is a human need of ours and not many people were born to be lighthouse keepers, spend all their lives, you know, lighting the lamp and living on their own. Uh, some people, I mean, they're the hermits, aren't they, and people that, that like that, but generally speaking, people need connection, and we see that in the world. We are very fortunate that we're, we're blended into a family, we're, we're adopted into a family, and we're, we're given much more than just a friendship. You know, you might, like brothers and sisters, have fallings out, don't they, and in natural families, but, you know, in our family, if we have that, we have something bigger than ourselves and our conflicts that helps us get through that and carry on and, um, you know, the balm of the Holy Spirit just sort of heals things and smooths things and, you know, it's just because it's supernatural, it's from God. Um, just So the, the talk's sort of in two halves. The first half is to show us that people in the Bible were lonely too and it's part of our walk and through our tramping through the wilderness for 40 years uh, as we head towards the Lord's return, the promised land, uh, we're going to have some times of loneliness and, and there's plenty of examples in the scriptures and here's one in First uh, Kings chapter 19 about Elijah he's just done this amazing thing and called down fire from heaven and defeated the prophets of Baal the false ways of worship and proven who's the, the true correct God um, and he suddenly gets all despairing and it says verse 4 he went him himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And he's feeling very sorry for himself and he lay down and slept under a juniper tree and the Lord comes to him and talks to him in a still small voice. You know, a wonderful story. Um, and that's what can happen, of course, to all of us when we're feeling like that. I'm just going to go through a couple of examples. David, Psalm 69. Psalm 69, and when I first read this, I couldn't believe it. This is David, the great David, and uh, saying, oh, basically, I've lost my vision. I can't see you anymore, Lord. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul, this one. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I'm coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. And he's just really upset. He's crying. He can't see. He feels like his feet are just sinking. He's not on that solid rock anymore. Uh, and in verse 8, he says... Um, I may become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien to my mother's children. So he's talking about his natural brothers, um, his family. He just can't even relate to them anymore. He's, he's become so zealous for the Lord. And in the zeal of thine house, in verse 9, has eaten me up. That he's kind of he's separated himself. God's his first love. We heard that from Caroline in the testimony. But then he's just in this moment of loneliness and uh, despair and he's not got his family and he's not got his relationship. And, you know, it's great to, I find it's great to read that and think David went through it. 
It's okay, you know? If you feel like that, don't think there's something wrong with you, because David had it. Genesis chapter 15, just a couple of quick examples. This is Abraham, of course. Verse 12. Uh, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. It goes on in the next verse to talk about his seed being a stranger in a land that is not theirs, which is a prophecy, of course, of uh, going into Egypt and um, living there for for 400 years. Um, But... This, this horror of great darkness just seems to, that's just that phrase seems to sum up where um, we can sometimes be just briefly. And he goes to sleep, and, this, and it's just a dark moment for him. And uh, he's, his name has not yet been changed to Abraham. And this horror of great darkness, in a sense, it's kind of symbolic of the world. And sometimes the world itself, you know, this thick darkness that's in the world can uh, be a bit overwhelming. Another example there. Another one is in Job, Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. And um, we know the story of Job that he's... An upright man, you know, the, the Lord actually praises him. There's no one like him, you know, in all the earth. He's the most upright and so on. So the most righteous, a perfect and an upright man. Uh, and yet, Satan is given liberty to uh, test him and try him, and he does. And, of course, we know that he loses all his, his flocks. He, ten of his children are killed. His servants are all killed. And all his flock stolen, he's a very wealthy man and he has nothing. And then he gets uh, his body afflicted with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot and he's completely, uh, you know, he's got nothing. And um, verse 9, his wife said unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. It's like, well, this is, this is pretty bad, Job. You might as well just give up and, you know, curse God. You know, how can you be, you know, praising the Lord? But it says that uh, Job didn't sin. He didn't charge God foolishly. He didn't, uh, I mean, he still had some thoughts that had to work through in this whole book. But, you know, he was, um, he was determined to, to hold on to the Lord. Verse 13 says, so they, his friends come to sit with him. They sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. That's pretty amazing. These, these three friends come to sit with him, and they, they can't even speak to him because he's just feeling so bad. And they just sit for seven days and seven nights, and none spoke to him. It's a long time, isn't it, just to sit there. And he's just so grief-stricken that he can't move and he can't speak. Um, so there are some pretty extreme examples of loneliness here in the scriptures. Um, you can think of lots and lots of other examples too, and virtually anyone you'd like to, to mention. Uh, Jeremiah was sort of asked to speak the truth for the Lord, 
He says, I, I can't, I'm a child. No, I want you to do it. And he does it. And then he gets lowered into the, not only into the prison, the innermost part of the prison, but into the sewer pit in the middle of that prison. And he's in it, you know, and eventually they have to pull him out, you know, put rags under his arms and ropes and drag him out. He must have been just a skeleton, you know. And he's in this filth, the sewer, in the lowest part of the prison uh, for a long time. And he thinks he's going to die there. Um, Of course, the Lord brings him out. But imagine that in the dark and the stench and being there alone and no friends and everyone hates you because you're speaking the truth. Uh, Ezekiel, think of how he had to lie on his side, one side for 430 days and then on his other side for 40 days to be an example. And that's a long time to lie on one side. (laughs) And he had to put a frying pan there, do all sorts of strange things. Um, representing you know, people's hard face against God and all this. Um, he would have been lonely, lying on his side and everyone thinking, what a weirdo, <laughs> in the middle of the town square. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, big beasts all around him. I mean, he trusted God, but still would have been dark and scary and lonely. Naomi goes to, to Moab. She's, her husband dies. Her sons die. So all her family. All she's got left are two daughters-in-law. Great story, of course, comes out of it, Ruth. But she would have been very lonely, being in a foreign land and, and uh, her husband and sons dying. Hannah, of course, who was very isolated and uh, had this need. And, uh, you know, even though her husband was sort of cared for her a lot, uh, she still felt very alone in, in her anguish through that, you know. And any little story you look at, there seems to be these moments. And I think the Bible shows us that we, we will feel alone at times. I always remember Fran Doney's testimony standing right here. And she said, you know, she had this problem. She was in hospital. I can't even remember what the condition was, but it was that bad. She knew it was just her and the Lord. She said, you could have all been standing in the hotel. Um, not hotel. What am I saying? <laughs> in the hospital with me. Well, it would have made no difference. It was just me and the Lord at that time. I was alone. And it was only the Lord that, that could lift me out. And um, so, you know, we, hear, we do hear it in our testimonies and, uh, and moments. And, of course, you know, I can remember moments in my own uh, testimony over the last 32 years like that. Um, But the ultimate example of loneliness has to be Jesus Christ. Um, If we just go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and this is Jesus. He's praying. He knows what's coming, his own death. And not only death, there's some mistreatment that, that is an understatement, leads to it. And uh, in verse 39, he, he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And uh, verse 53 As they come to take him, he says, When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
And there's that darkness of the evil side of the world that's going to have its moment of victory over him and it's come out to take him and he's, he says, you know, basically implying, I go willingly, you know, you could have taken me any time but this is your moment that's been appointed to you. But in verse 44, he was in agony and he, he knew what was coming and his sweat, you know, just like so intensely concentrating on this moment, the sweat is pouring off him and it's like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Um, people, you know, saying he's gone about now, he sweat blood. Well, it's not actually, you know, blood, is it? It's sweat, but it's becoming, it's gone into an idiom that's gone into our language um, because of this moment. And he knew what was coming, but the loneliness part was only just beginning because there was always, he was taken he was accused falsely. He didn't, as a lamb to the slaughter, we read in Isaiah 53 in prophecy, open not his mouth, and they brought all these false things against him. They couldn't find two witnesses to agree, so they had to make up lies to sort of get two or three witnesses to uh, convict him. And uh, it was just a kangaroo court, of course. And in um, Matthew chapter 27, the crucifixion, we, we read that there was the darkness, the sky was darkened. Matthew 27, verse 46. Oh, we'll just go back a bit, um, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. For, for three hours there was darkness. You know, and that's just... Symbolic. I mean, it's literal. It happened, but it's also symbolic of the of the power of darkness and the victory that uh, darkness had at that moment over the Son of God and God Himself. And about the ninth hour, so about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is to say, "My God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me?" And we know that Jesus at that moment was complete sin on the cross. He was, his father couldn't look on him and he cries out you know, these, these words so that we would know that he was completely alone. The loneliness was complete at that moment. Uh, completely, we, we can turn to God, can't we, in our darkest moment? You know, we can pray, like Fran was saying, and, and like uh, we read in... You know, David's in that psalm, well, he turns to God and God, God answers him. But Jesus knew he had to go all the way, you know, right into the ground to, to be killed, to die, to go into the ground. And only after that could the victory come and the, and the great blessing for us. So that is the ultimate example of loneliness. And I, the first part of this talk, I just want to bring out the principle that there's lots of role models and lots of examples of loneliness and that we, when we feel it, we can look to them and, and think, yeah, they went through it. If they went through it, I can go through it. But ultimately, Jesus Christ, of course, went through it to save us and to open the door for us. And all people said. Okay, so... Um, let's turn to John chapter 14. Now I think of something Curly gave his testimony today and I've heard Curly's testimony many hundreds of times. <laughs> and um, He always says good stuff and one of the things that I always remember, he says he, 
he never had to go to work on his own after he got the Holy Spirit. He knew that he was never alone from the moment he got the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking of that when I was putting this talk together because John chapter 14 talks about the Comforter coming, the Holy Spirit coming, and being inside us. Now, Jesus says, I won't leave you comfortless, which is the Greek word orphans. I won't leave you orphans. You know, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be in you and not just briefly, but forever. So we are never alone. The word comforter is from the Greek parakletos or advocate or one who comes alongside. So he just comes alongside us and never, ever leaves us. And in fact, he's on the inside. Um, Anyway, we'll read the verses. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We'll, we'll just come and dwell in him, and that's it, forever. Uh, but you have to love me and keep my words. And verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. That's the word orphanos. Uh, used only once in the Bible here. Oh, no, second, another time, sorry, in James is where it's translated as fatherless. There's only these two times that it's used in the New Testament. But I won't leave you orphans, as it were. I will come to you. In verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Forever. Amazing. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're never, we're never alone, um, even though we go through these lonely times, these trials, these difficulties, uh, but they are for the making of us. I mean, I often think, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, I'll, I'll relate it to my kids, you know, everyone has a, has a big one, don't they? You know, a big trial at some point. <laughs> and it's kind of the making of you. And I've always said to my kids, oh, well, that's the big one. You know, it's the making of you. Rejoice. <laughs> You know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, James chapter 1. You know, it's inevitable, but it's, when you get through it, it is great, isn't it? So it's like uh, Hebrews 12 where it says, No chastening for the moment seems joyous but grievous, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. You know, it's afterwards the, the feeling of joy and, and accomplishment is just overwhelming and uh, accomplishment because the Lord has brought you through and um, set you on high, not, not your own doing. So we're not alone. We're, we've got the Lord. Our trials actually um, strengthen us and prove us and improve us and, uh, and lift us up. Um, the second principle I wanted to bring out is that the Bible's full of practical advice for us when we do feel lonely or alone and we can turn to it for that as well. As well as looking at the role models, we can look at the advice. Um, out in the world outside these doors here, people, if they're lonely, will join clubs. They'll go online on their computers, you know, and connect with people that way. Or they get a pet, you know, dog, cat, goldfish, whatever, and, you know, keep them company. And that's great because they do keep you company. And we've got a cat who's very unsociable, but he's... he's <laughs> He's still part of the family. <laughs> we sort of think, you know, we go to camp for seven days and think, well, maybe he's run away, you know, maybe we... But then we, we get back. <laughs> he's, he's there meowing at the back door with a big pile of food still left. Um, we're not very nice to him. Um, but anyway, that's what people do. 
We've got something that's so much more powerful, the Holy Spirit and our fellowship uh, to, to get through. Uh, the 2018 Australian Study on Loneliness that I mentioned before offers 14 tips on how to alleviate loneliness. Um, and they're things that people you know, who, who are looking uh, for answers might sort of find online and then they might follow them through. And, um, but what I noticed as I read through them, all of these suggestions are already in the Word of God, you know, many times over. And when we follow the Bible's advice, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have God's answer to that situation. But I'll read the headings anyway. I'm not going to go through every one and say, well, this is a scripture that goes with it. I'm just, just a couple of them, I'll do that. Uh, the first one is think positive. Say no more. <laughs> Two, forget comparisons. Plenty of scriptures about that, aren't there? Um, number three, expect change. Um, now, how much time have we got? Oh, we've got plenty of time. Let's turn to Psalm 31. Verse 7, Psalm 31, verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. I just wrote that one down because I'd been reading it probably that day um, to go with this. But you've probably got a favourite scripture that, that would go with expect change. You know, uh, there's all sorts of scriptures, probably hundreds. Uh, think of Jeremiah 29. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Um, the end is better than the beginning. All things work together for good to those that love God, who are called according to his purpose. Expect change. It's, it's part of our spiritual DNA. Uh, number four says tolerate discomfort. Okay, let's go to Philippians chapter four for this one. There's always a scripture for every situation, isn't there? And here, um, Paul, Paul the Apostle, wonderful things in this chapter about be careful for nothing by everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Um, and so on and so on. Uh, but the, one, the verses I wanted here were... Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And uh, so tolerate discomfort. We just look to, to the Apostle Paul and, and what he went through and we read some of those um, passages where he says all the different uh, um, trials that he had and we just think, yeah, well... Uh, what I'm going through is not so bad after all. You know, having been stoned and left for dead in Ephesus and things like that. You know, shipwrecked and in the sea for a day and a half, <laughs> all that. Um, Paul learnt to, you know, to, to travel about, and at times he uh, he just had to probably sleep in the corner of a stone room and on the, on the stones and you know eat some dry bread or whatever. 
And other places he went, they probably laid out a feast for him and put him on a soft bed. But he was willing to just, whatever, as he was travelling around, just do the Lord's work. Of course, where he came from and that um, background of persecuting the church drove him on, you know, knowing that how gracious the Lord was in forgiving him and, and saving him. Uh, number five in this, this list of tips is listen well. You know, we, we're always encouraged through the scriptures to, to um, listen to the Lord, to apply ourselves to prayer and to reading and to, um, you know, take in the word of God. Number six is to rehearse. And, and I think we do that because we have a routine, don't we, that we go over things. We're routine and, that, and routine is, is valuable. Um, so rehearsing the things that we know, not just sort of saying, oh, I'll do it when the motivation strikes me, but we have, you know, a prayer life, we have a reading life, we have, you know, meeting times and, and so on. Uh, number seven says, say names. I've forgotten what the, the tip was in the uh, natural there. Um, so I'll skip that one. Um, it, get offline. Number, number eight is get offline. Uh, so, yeah, when you're, when you're plugging yourself into the computer, what are you doing? You're kind of plugging yourself into the world and just downloading, and we all need it. We all need to be online a lot these days for all sorts of reasons, but get offline and just do the old-fashioned things on your knees and reading. Uh, number nine says chat to strangers. Hey. <laughs> Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, let's look at a scripture on this one, Proverbs 22. Could go to any number of verses, uh, Ecclesiastes, cast your bread on the waters. You know, you'll find it again after many days. In other words, you know, you throw out the bread of life, it's going to, it's going to accomplish something. Uh, Proverbs 22, and in verse 9... He that has a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And speaking spiritually, of course, uh, largely here. The bread of life and the poor, the poor in spirit, and be bountiful with it. You know, you've got it. Um, as Curly was saying there about uh, just talking to people doesn't really care what he says because it's up to them what they do with it. And he's got the truth. And uh, people might not agree, but uh, that doesn't change the truth, does it? Uh, so be bountiful with it. You're like a, a sower of the seed with a great big bag of seeds sort of strapped to your side and all you have to do is sort of grab a handful and toss. Um, number 10 is the tip is to help. In other words, get involved in helping other people. Well, of course, that's a, a Bible principle. Probably the most obvious verse would be it's more blessed to give than to receive. In the book of Acts, Paul quotes Jesus there. Uh, number 11 is join in, and the worldly advice is join in a volunteer organisation where you can do something. Well, again, I've just mentioned that you know, we have that, that ready-made activity of uh, witnessing to people, connecting with people. I'm often amazed at how someone, you, you knock on a door, say, and someone sort of looks at you with that suspicious look or whatever, <laughs> and within 30 seconds you're talking about the meaning of life and one of the most important things in the world. And they just open up. It's just kind of like the, the gospel has this way of just opening people up. And, you know, what was a complete stranger one second is now someone who's willing to share all this stuff with you. Um, so you join in, you connect with people. 
Uh, reconnect is number 12. Uh, number 13 is manage stress. Uh, we, we know we can read scriptures about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Um, number 14, practice, practice, practice. Don't give up. Persevere. Try again. Well, of course, you know, that is our, our uh, encouragement from the Lord that uh, we're going somewhere. Um, even Paul says, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't stop practicing lest I become a castaway. You know, I keep doing the, the same old tried and true things that keep us saved, you know, keep us going. And uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, for example. And that's, you know, we practice. We go through a practice of worshipping the Lord and remembering what he's done for us. And it's so valuable. Um, Okay, Malachi chapter 3, a couple of verses to finish here. Old Testament. God is rebuking through the prophet Malachi, the people of Israel who, who think that they don't need him. Verse 13, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, said, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. And because we are those that fear the Lord, we speak often one to another by coming together like this, uh, and other times, as I say, we have a routine. The Lord loves it. He, he watches it. He, he listens. He hears it. And uh, he's got a book with names written in it. He says, these people are my jewels, and I'm going to come back for them. They go through their times of loneliness. I understand that. I know everything that they're going through. My son was in all points tempted. He knew every trial, every emotion, um, and yet without sin. We'll just finish also in um, Psalm 27. It's just a, a promise to us that not only is there a wonderful future, but that God wants to bless us in this life. He knows when we're lonely. He knows what we need. We need human connection. Psalm 27. Pages seem to be sticking together today. It must be the cold or something. Ah, here we go. Um, verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, in this life. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And I guess that's the key. When we're feeling lonely, just wait on the Lord. Be patient. 
let things take their course. Don't sort of jump at some worldly solution. Wait on the Lord and he'll bring out the best solution of all. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.